the old pilot's plain tales, Captain Al and the Spotty M. When we join our chosen major airline, we would hope that we can stay with it for the entirety of our careers. Sadly, that is not always the case. This is the first part of Captain Al's story and how his beloved airline closed its doors. Al, nice of you to chat to us. Now, not many of us are ever in the situation where our airline falls out from underneath us. And sadly, you were in just that place and not that long ago. It was uh, coming up to its anniversary, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, yes. Um, a year flies by. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's not something that you would wish on your worst enemy, to be perfectly truthful. So your airline, we can call it Monarch now because uh, those days are now behind and no one's really going to come after you. Um, it was a well-established airline. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, the irony of the situation is that had the airline continued to operate, this would have been its 50th anniversary this year. So I guess tears all round. And are you going to meet up with any of your past colleagues? Um, there are various uh, reunion events organised, but of course we're spread out all over the world now working for other airlines and um, most of the pilot community found work in other airlines, but of course the cabin crew, um, they're now spread out over all sorts of industries. So um, some people will try to get together, but of course not everyone's going to be in that position. So casting your mind back, what gave you the indication that things might not be well in, in the sort of last few years of Monarch's life? It's a, it's a difficult question to answer in some ways um, because firstly most of us who've been in aviation for a reasonable period of time know that it's a perilous industry and there isn't an airline that's gone throughout its career without having the odd little wobble. Um, and if we look at some of the American airlines, those that are extremely successful now have all been through the Chapter 11 protection. So, um, and also with regards to me and Monarch Airlines, in the uh, last couple of years or so, I was quite heavily involved with the Pilots' Union. So we were in a privileged position to be given the company accounts um, however, the accounts are only a snapshot of the financial well-being and although you can see where the money's coming from and where it's being spent, you're not privy to the plans that are behind those accounts um, and it's very much an interpretation. Now, many airlines, including Monarch, had received funding from its owners from external sources over the year, um, so when you see uh, a loss-making year, you don't necessarily panic and think, right, I'm going to redo my CV, I'm going to go from the frying pan into the fire. So, um, though there must have been a few signals and, and at times you must have been a little worried because Monarch had started leaking pilots. Yes, there'd been a, a, a small drip rather than a, a, than a leak, to be honest. Um, the main reason is that as an airline, I mean, let's be honest, we all have to work to pay the bills, but it was a very, very friendly airline. We were well treated. Um, we had a lot of respect for the management. Um, we had high standards. And the flying that we did in, in the main was very enjoyable. Um, so there was no great desire to go somewhere else where maybe the workload was higher and the remuneration was less. So, yet yeah, some pilots 
did leave. Um, we did have a period of time where the uh, company downsized the number of aircraft, and um, there were uh, a period, or was a period of time where there was a consultation over redundancies uh, in the pilot community, and we were able to sit down with the company and turn that into voluntary redundancies rather than compulsory redundancies. So quite a number of guys took the opportunity to what they saw maybe as a, a career break um, to go off for four years and there was provisions to come back to the airline um, after taking voluntary redundancy. So quite a few guys did take that option, probably within the back of their mind to come back. Um, obviously that's not an option anymore. Now, for a lot of you, uh, Monarch had a wonderful pension scheme that would have kept you very keen to stay in and very keen for the airline to keep going. How, what kind of a scheme was that? It was a, a final salary pension scheme. Um, when I joined the company in 2001, there were a handful of airlines that offered final salary pension schemes, and they were the gold-plated pension. Um, you as the employee uh, made a contribution and the employer made a contribution and based on the number of years of service you ended up with a percentage of your final salary as your annual pension. Um, it wasn't subject to the vagaries of the stock market, it was uh, a very simple formula and you knew exactly what pension you were going to get, or at least that's what we thought. Uh, when the previous owners of the airline decided in 2014 that they wanted to rid themselves of the airline. Um, a deal was made whereby, because the pension fund had a huge deficit, that the pension would effectively be scrapped and put into a protection scheme. So what was supposed to be um, a gold-plated pension turned out to be an almost useless pension, and many of my long-established colleagues in the airline lost sums up to three-quarters of a million pounds um, because the Pension Protection Fund, which is the sort of uh, insurance policy for final salary pension schemes, has an upper limit. So regardless of how much you've put in or the employer's put in, um, your pension is now capped um, and therefore that money is lost. That's a nightmare, uh, particularly for those who were relying it and those who were too old to stand a chance of making a new pension elsewhere. Absolutely, and, and the worst thing about it was that it was the older guys who were the worst affected because they had the most money invested, um, so therefore they were the worst affected by the cap and of course the least amount of time to try to make good the damage. Absolutely. Uh, well, we all feel horribly sorry for them. Um, how about yourself? Um, you stuck with it to the very end. Um, was it a difficult decision not to try and leave early? I think the, the decision was based on two key facts really for me or key deciders. Um, number one, I enjoyed working there and if the airline could succeed then I wanted to be part of the success story. And number two, up until relatively recently, it wasn't a buoyant jobs market, so the choices weren't that great. Um, so, in many respects, you stick with the devil that you know, and you, you, you just hope. And there had been rescue packages in the past, and there were new aircraft to be delivered, so there was plenty of reasons to be optimistic. 
it was just unfortunate that two sets of circumstances outside of the control of the airline, the owners or indeed the management, came to play that just put the nails in the coffin. Two sets of circumstances sounds like uh, an awful recipe for disaster. What happened? Well, there were two events. There was the bombing of the Metrojet Airbus that uh, took off from Sharm el-Sheikh, flying to Russia, and shortly after getting airborne, a bomb exploded on board. And it became apparent that the security within Sharm el-Sheikh airport was so lax that it was easy to get a bomb on board. And therefore, as a consequence, the UK government decided to rescue all UK citizens from the Sharm el-Sheikh area of Egypt and then oppose a ban on UK airlines flying to Sharm el-Sheikh airport. Now, the effect that that had on Monarch Airlines was quite considerable because Sharm el-Sheikh was an extremely popular winter sun destination and accounted for about £40 million of winter revenue. Now, most of us will know that there's a big split between winter and summer uh, flying programmes for most airlines and revenue is always difficult to come by during the winter periods so to suddenly have 40 million pounds um, come out of your money coming into the the business was was quite a bitter pill to swallow and then it became apparent that this ban was going to be ongoing so combine that with the political instabilities in the eastern Mediterranean it really forced the hand of Monarch in how they deployed their aircraft. The second external event again largely outside of the control of uh, the airline was Brexit. Not because of the political fallout and any of the political squabbling that currently is taking place but simply it had an effect on the pound sterling almost overnight the pound lost about 25% of its value against the US dollar and the euro. Now as an airline most of our revenue was in pound sterling and almost all of its expenditure was in US dollars for fuel, aircraft leasing costs and euros airport charges, euro control charges. So it's very obvious to see that overnight the operating costs went up by 25%. And that's simply irrecoverable. You can't just raise the ticket prices by 25%. Now, do you think there was a way that Monarch might have, in the past, widened its potential customer base to include uh, something that would protect them against these losses? Because to have just one destination uh, and one currency that you're working in bring the airline down so low seems to be a bit of an error. I would entirely agree, um, and a situation compounded by being a relatively small airline, only operating up to sort of 35, 36 aircraft, um, in a market that has changed dramatically over the last 15 years. We're very aware of Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air, all operating large fleets. With large fleets, you can limit your exposure to single events. And that was something that we were trying to get the airline to do. But of course, at the end of the day, it's a privately owned airline, or was. And therefore, the owners will do what they see fit. Absolutely. The, the fateful days came. Uh, now, in the, in the 
few days running up to the demise, uh, I guess you must have had a pretty good clue, considering especially that you were in direct communications with uh, the management, what was going to happen. I mean, did they, did they lay it out for you? Um, I think it was one of those cases where the facts were there, but there was always the hope that someone might decide to buy the airline, or indeed the shareholders or an external party would come in and offer an amount of money to solve the problem. And that was very much the feeling up until the last few weeks, really. Um, and in the last few weeks, to the, those of us who had dealings with the management, it became aware that it didn't look as if there was going to be a rescue, it didn't look as if um, anybody was going to buy. And there had been prospective purchasers, EasyJet had been interested, IAG had been interested. I think, being brutally honest, a lot of it revolved around the one valuable asset that the airline had, which was its London Gatwick slots. The various parties who had expressed an interest looked at it and did a risk assessment and went, well, if the airline falls, these slots are going to go into the open market and we might end up paying less for them than if we buy the airline. And I think they were prepared to take the gamble rather than take the risk. But perhaps you could explain exactly what a slot is. Absolutely. So um, in Europe, you have to apply to the airports that you wish to fly to and from for the ability to use the runway. So unlike the United States where you can just build a schedule and just hope for the best, um, and as long as you have gates or whatever, then regardless of whether air traffic control have the capacity to deal with the number of flights, um, that doesn't happen in, in Europe. So the very busy airports, so London Gatwick, Heathrow, Manchester, all have basically shares in the runway in simple terms that the airlines will buy and sell and that allows you to operate routes and as I recall the slots at London Gatwick were sold for the Monarch Airline slots were sold for 60 million pounds and that was probably one of the biggest assets that the airline had so the, the airlines who were expressing interest looked at it and thought, well, we really want these slots because we need to expand at Gatwick um, and also at Manchester to a lesser extent. How much are we prepared to pay for them? How much do we think they'll go in the open auction? And so um, that unfortunately meant that there was no buyer at the end of the day. So those last few weeks were very much a case of, as a union guy, we reached the point where we went, right, OK, we've got to put together the programme, so how we pick up the pieces when, when the lights are turned off, because we knew that there was very little likelihood of the lights staying on. We didn't know when the lights would be turned off, um, but a decision was going to be made. In the next plain tale, we'll hear the conclusion of Captain L's story and learn of the difficult times that its employees faced. And my apologies for the standard of audio during this interview. Technical problems, I'm afraid. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show podcast. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com. Music by bensounds.com.